0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio, I'm Darren Hefty.
1: And I'm Brian Hefty, thanks for joining us. Today on the show we're going to talk a little about what could be a major issue on your farm, lodging. If you've had lodging problems in your crops, today is the show for you. We're going to solve those problems today. If you've got any questions for us about that or anything going on in your farm, you can give us a call, 844 44 ag phd That's 844-442-4743. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on X, agphd Media, Darren Hefty, or Brian Hefty. All right, so lodging. Most commonly, we see this in corn. Now, it can happen in any crop. Crop can tip over, and so we're going to talk about a variety of crops today and, and run through some of these issues, but... The number one thing that I'm always going to come back to is potassium. Take a look at your potassium test. We want you to be over 4% base saturation K. And we want you to have an adequate number of pounds per acre, parts per million to make sure you have a great crop. Here's where there's a little bit of difference and maybe a little confusion. If you have heavy soil, you can hold lots of K. So if I tell you... Uh, in heavy ground to have 4% base saturation potassium, you probably have a thousand pounds of K out there. So we're good. More That's more than enough to raise a crop. And you got that nutrient in balance with everything else. That's why we look at the base saturation test. That's about balance. Let's say you have sand. You got three cation exchange capacity. Well, 4% base saturation K is not enough to raise 250 bushel or 300 bushel corn. It's not going to be enough. You're going to have to go beyond that. You're going to have to add more. So you want to start out the year with more. You're probably going to need to add more during the course of the year in that sand. So that's where we see the difference. And that's why I say you got to have both a high base saturation K over 4% and enough parts per million or pounds per acre to raise that great crop. Okay. Now, let's say you look at your soil test this fall, and the reason why we're talking about this topic today, because you're probably thinking, well, why do I need to talk about this today? I'm not worried about lodging until we get into next summer, and I'm worried about those windstorms. Here's the thing. You're going to be buying your seed corn probably soon. When you talk to that seed corn dealer, you're going to talk about planting populations, because you got to know how many bags to buy. And the seed corn dealer is probably going to push you to plant more plants per acre. And what I'm saying here is, before you commit to, oh, I'm going to plant 36 or 38 or 40,000 plants per acre, you look at your soil test. And I'm serious. If you don't have the potassium to support it, please, please do not up your planting population. I decrease it. I see a lot of soil tests that come across our desk here every day, 1%, 2% base saturation K in medium to heavy soils, and I'm going, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not good. I mean— If I see that right away, it's like, well, you can plant 20,000 plants per acre, maybe even 24,000 safely. But I talk to people all the time that, well, no, I'm going to plant 36,000 plants per acre. And I'm like, well, you're not even giving the plant a chance. So either put on more K or cut that planting population. And I'm not talking a little, I'm not talking going from 36 to 34, I'm talking 36 down to 24. And you might say, well, I'm going to give up too much yield. Are you? Are you? Have you tested it lately? If you don't have the K there, the trouble is your corn occasionally is going to go down, and then what are you going to have for yield? So, or like I say, just increase your potassium level. It's one or the other, though. But if you think you're going to continue with low K levels and you're going to go to high planting populations, it's going to fall over, I'll almost guarantee you. It's just a question of when. So that's number one for me. But beyond that, I mean, there are a lot of things. You don't want to have massive compaction issues. You want to make sure you have good drainage. Copper and manganese are also two other important nutrients. We'll talk about them a little bit today that come into play here with this. But again, I'm going to look at potassium, and then I'm also going to look at planting population. Those are my big two things. Okay, And I don't care what crop we're talking about, corn, wheat, soybeans, anything, If I'm having lots of lodging issues, I'm going to probably blame it on either low K or too high a planting population. If I fix both of those things, then 90, 95% of my lodging issues are going to go away. Now, Let's say I have a 100-mile-an-hour wind that comes through, and it doesn't just blow through in 10 seconds. It's here for an hour. (laughs) Well, guess what? I don't don't care what you do. When the barn falls down, chances are that crop's falling down, too. Okay, so there are some extremes, all right? You get a tornado. You get a 100-mile-an-hour wind for an hour. I mean, there are some crazy things where it doesn't matter. You can do everything Uh, on the face of the earth, and that crop's still going over, okay? We're not talking about that today. We're just talking about normal winds, normal situations, and the routine of what you do on the farm, all right? But if you start taking a look this fall at your soil tests, please make sure you get potassium tested, and please make sure you have a base saturation test. So I just want to explain a little bit more why that base saturation test is so important. Manganese and potassium fight each other all the time in the plant. If, let's say, I have an area of really low K on the soil test and really high magnesium on the soil test, I I will promise you when I pull plant tissue tests, my magnesium is going to look great, but my potassium is going to look low. That's just the way it is. They compete against each other. Okay. That's why on Mulder's chart, if you look at that, that shows interactions of one nutrient to any other nutrient. It's going to show you that potassium and magnesium compete. So we want to have those in balance. We want to have them in ratio. And roughly the right ratio in terms of parts per million is two to one magnesium to potassium to one to one. So somewhere in that range. Or The simpler way for me to look at it a lot of times is just look at the base saturation test. And these numbers are going to sound a little weird because I just told you 1 to 1 to 2 to 1. Well, base saturation isn't figured the same as parts per million. So with base saturation, what we're looking for in potassium is 4 to 8%, but on magnesium, 12 to 20%. And so if you're in those ranges, then usually you can get both potassium and magnesium into the plant rather than just one or the other. All right, we'll talk about fixing lodging problems in crops and various crops, not just corn or soybeans. We'll talk about that throughout the show today. Again, if you've got a question for us, just give us a call here, 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. We're going to the phone lines next. Are
2: you ready?
0: We got the need. The need for seed treatment.
2: Start your
3: engines.
2: Ready.
4: Intego!
2: Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent, USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com Intego. Always read and follow label instructions.
3: Precision crop nutrition pays, and AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed the right products, plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid, apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com.
2: So how's harvest? Higher yield potential starts with the season-long systemic disease protection of Zyway brand fungicides from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides protect corn crops from key foliar diseases and support physiological benefits that help develop healthier, higher-yielding corn for a difference you'll appreciate at harvest. Visit your FMC retailer for an at-plant advantage. Always read and follow all label directions.
0: back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're talking about fixing crops that fall over, fixing lodging problems in crops. If you've got a challenge with that on your farm, is it in the same spot that it always is? If you're going to have corn fall over, is it always this one certain spot? I remember growing up we used to plant a lot of oats and my dad would say, man, if I don't get my fertilizer rates right, if I get too much N, not enough K, uh, I've got areas of my my fields that I know are going to tip over and it seemed to be a real sensitive crop to that. But we see the same thing in corn and other crops. So we'll talk about some of the issues with lodging and and some of the things to watch for on your farm. And as Brian mentioned, our phone lines will be open throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD got Kyle Long on with us right now with Kinsey Ag. How are you doing, Kyle? Hi. I'm good. How about yourself? I'm doing well. I I know you get to look at even more soil tests than I do, and a lot of times farmers will say, well, I've got a problem on one of my fields. Guess which one it is. And you're one of those guys that can look at a soil test and make a pretty good guess on that. Uh, (laughs) If if somebody said, hey, I have a lodging problem in my corn, uh, and guess which test it's on. What are some of the things you'd be looking for?
5: Uh, really what I look for, well, first and foremost is exchange capacity, how close their, uh, structure is to what I would consider as ideal. Uh, because if you have a more sandy soil, then you're actually more prone to lodging in that if you don't have the proper structure. But as far as a nutritional standpoint, uh, for rooting structure, uh, and actually keeping, uh, some uh, really nice rooting system so that it doesn't fall over i look for potassium uh, and calcium uh, especially
0: all right so when we talk about those nutrients brian talks about potassium a lot and i do as well we've seen a big difference on our farm. we generally have pretty good calcium levels so for us potassium was Mm -hmm. the one we had to bring up but how about for the folks Mm -hmm. that are really struggling getting calcium up what are some of the things that that you notice there
5: What do we notice is, uh, well, everything rides on the back of calcium. That's something that Dr. Albrecht had always uh, said. And so whenever we think of calcium, we just have to keep putting it on if we don't have enough uh, because that is where, that's the vehicle that basically helps drive those nutrients into that plant if you have good calcium around that that rhizosphere to be able to, to for that plant to take up those nutrients.
0: Yeah, having available calcium is the other thing, and I know this is something we've talked about before as well. We may have lots of calcium on a soil test. Maybe it says we're eighty-five percent, ninety percent calcium. Doesn't necessarily mean that calcium's available. So having available calcium is going to be a big deal. And then on this potassium front, you get to work with a lot of lighter soils. I know in our heavier soils, if we're four percent base saturation potassium to maybe up to seven or even eight, depending on whose soil test you're using that seems to be pretty good how about in the lighter soils can you push it even further when seven percent base saturation might not be much more than a hundred parts per million
5: uh yes uh you want to see what that crop is also going to use up uh we say we're trying to use stuff for structure and that's our main goal is trying to promote that proper structure first so potassium does look Uh, We look at that for structure first and then, okay, in a lighter condition, we know that we're going to have to push that above 100% capacity because that crop is actually up more than what is going to be needed for that structure. So that's something that we also look at. We also look at for logic, though, too, uh, micronutrient-wise, copper and manganese are very uh, key things for stalk strength. You know, with that potassium, the manganese, and the copper, those are three real keys to uh, stalk strength that I find that even if you have excessive biomass from overuse of nitrogen, that they still will will hold up uh, rather nicely under those conditions.
0: We're talking with Kyle Long here with Kinsey Ag. You can find more details about some of the work that Kyle and his team are doing at kinseyag.com. That's K-I-N-S-E-Y ag.com. And also I would suggest reading some of the articles they've got too that that address issues like this. What do you do when you've got lodging issues out in crops? Kyle, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Look forward to seeing you down the road.
5: Yeah. Thank you very much, Darren. I appreciate it.
0: Let's head up to Nova Scotia. We've got Sam on right now with a question for us. How are you doing, Sam? Good. How are you? We're doing well. We're doing well. What, what can we do for you?
6: Um, I guess I had a question about, uh, strip tillage and, uh, applying some litter, uh, chicken litter. We have a a broiler farm and, uh, table eggs and breeders. And, uh, we grow corn and soybeans for, for our feed. And, uh, we just got a strip tiller in the spring and, uh, I guess i've never never done fall strips before, and uh I'm just wondering if uh if I'd make a mess if I did my fall strips and then went and uh, applied my litter in the spring like normal and then uh stripped again, I guess, and then planted into that,
1: yeah, and we do have some people do that sam so in the spring, they kind of call that freshening up the strips that you created in the fall. But let me ask you this: I mean, it sounds like you're getting most or all your fertility from this litter. Why? And then, if you're going to freshen the strip up in the spring, why are you going? Why do you want to do strip till at all in the fall?
6: Um, well, I'd like to like to get the seed bed warming up a little bit faster in the spring. Okay, that was one thing. This spring where we just uh, adjusted it in the spring yep. and uh, we still have good emergence, but we had a real dry spring as well. So sure. I don't yeah. know I don't know what that would look on like a regular sort of spring.
1: Yeah. So yeah, we've done strip till in the fall for a lot of years now on at least some of our acres. We've also done it when there has been dry manure or compost applied. Usually what we try to do is we'll get the uh, get the manure application or compost done first, then we go out and strip in the fall. And that way we don't have to touch it again. So if you want to do it the way you're talking about, it'll certainly work. But then it is it is going to require that extra trip in the spring, most likely. I, uh, although, as I say that, I don't know exactly how much you're putting out there, so I don't know how much will cover over the top of that row. Uh, but freshening it obviously would make it warmer and drier, and so that, that certainly could be helpful, I, I could see. But otherwise, I could also see where if you make a big enough berm in the fall, you just go clear that off in the spring, and that would clear off any of that Uh, that manure that is, or litter that is put over the top of that row in the spring too. So you could clean it off just right with the planter. So I, I guess you can certainly try it both ways if you wanted to. But the other thing that I would bring up is if you aren't putting out all your fertilizer needs, I, I really like putting some fertilizer deep with that strip-till machine. I think that's a big advantage uh, that, and you talked about dry weather. We deal with that all the time. Having at least a little bit of fertility down deep in that, that trench has been real helpful for us and helping us get through some of those drier years a little bit better. So, I, I mean, those are just some of our thoughts.
6: Yeah, perfect. Yeah, mixing that uh, manure down deeper would probably be a little better, too.
1: Yeah. You, yeah. If you, and the thing is, when you're stripping, you're not going to uh, take what's on the soil surface very well and, and like inject it down deep. I mean, we've done a bunch of liquid through a strip till machine or a different machine where we could go even deeper. And that certainly can work as well. We just obviously have to be careful about how much salt we're getting in the trench. But, uh, but yeah, I, 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 I'm not. I I don't mind what you're talking about here. I'm just questioning how can we get it done for I mean in one trip instead of having to go out in the fall and in the spring. That's all.
6: Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, that uh, that sounds good to me. So I'll, yeah, we uh, give that a try and yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah. Let us know how you turn out after that first year of doing it. And and like I say, I, I'd maybe try a couple different things and just kind of see what you're seeing. But we've liked strip till over the years. We like that we have a warmer seed bed in the spring. But I, again, I, I like putting at least a little bit of fertilizer down deep. That's been real helpful. Hey, Sam, thanks a lot for calling in today. Yeah. Appreciate it and good luck up there. Alrighty. Thank you. You bet.
0: You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're going to get back into our discussion on fixing lodging problems in crops, and we'll continue to take your calls and questions at 844 44 AGPHD. Where are you getting your fertilizer this year? Just about anywhere you look, it's going to cost more. And you may even find it's harder to get when you need it. It sure would be nice to
3: have a better source of crop nutrients. Believe it or not, you do. It's your soil.
0: Source from Sound Agriculture unlocks more of the nutrients already in your fields, so you can add less fertilizer while getting the yield you're counting on. It's such a solid backup plan, you'll probably find yourself wondering why Source wasn't the plan all along. Visit sound.ag to learn
7: more. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get more points with the End Zone from FarmShop MFG. In a 20,000-bushel soybean bin, gaining three points of moisture adds the equivalent of 900 bushels to your bottom line. Call 712-520-6051.
3: From the moment the first seed is in the ground, your days until harvest are numbered. Each day, every decision leads to your bottom line. So when it comes to harvest, rely on the only combine built to deliver the numbers you deserve. The Kloss Lexion gives you the quality, efficiency, reliability, and precision that make every minute count. Go ahead, let the numbers drive you with the Lexion Combine, built by Kloss.
7: In 1923, Bert R. Benjamin had a vision, an all-purpose tractor that could do more. With that, the Farmall was born. This year, Case IH is celebrating 100 years of Farmall, 100 years of milestones, 100 years of innovation, passion, grit, and they're doing it through your stories. Share them at farmall100.com. One lucky storyteller will win their own Farmall, the tractor that is the one for all.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today. If you have questions for us, if you'd like to send us some information, maybe a soil test or a picture, radio at agphd.com is the best way to do that. And of course, during our radio show, you can always call in 844-44-AG-PHD. We're going to head out to California next. We've got Bill Brush on with us right now. Long-time crop consultant there. Bill, you've seen it all. Thanks for being here to share a little bit with us.
4: Yeah, nice to be with you guys again.
0: We're talking about lodging problems in crops. Do you have that issue where crops tip over with any of the crops you work with out in California?
4: Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, we've seen a lot of uh, lodging on a lot of the dairies that are making corn silage, and one of the issues, of course, is that a lot of them are using either their
6: lagoon water or they're
4: using uh, a lot of uh, manure, dry manure. The combination of those two gives a lot of uh, rise to over nitrogen, and they grow a little rank. Uh, But one of the things, you know, and and I, I heard a little bit about from Kyle when he talked earlier, and really the most important thing, if you want crops to stand, is getting an adequate amount of, of potassium in there. And it creates basically cell wall strength, which is the foundation which is going to make your crop able to stand against a lot of things. We see a lot of things where they look really good and they make that outside pass with their chopper and then they shut down for the day and a little wind comes up and now they got lodging like you can't believe. And a lot of it is just a lack of uh, of potassium. But there are other issues, and, and one of those being... Uh, you know, and it's the, the the biggest, you know, the potassium is the biggest element you need to be. And one of the problems we usually find is it costs, it's expensive, and it's a big input and it makes, you know, you want to make sure you get the best value out of your potassium, which then comes back to calcium and magnesium and, and getting enough calcium there because as Dr. Albrecht said that your nutrients go not in with calcium, they come over the back of calcium, meaning that they're more available to the root hairs, etc., in the presence of calcium. And so if you want to get potassium in and you don't have the proper amount of calcium, you're putting more money into potassium and you may not get, be getting the total value. You but know. In we, addition to that, oh, go, go ahead. ahead.
0: Uh, I was just going to say, one of the so, things on this potassium, a lot of times... Uh, when I talk to you or I hear from Neil Kinsey and, and others in the industry, they'll say, well, there's kind of a range here that maybe you want to be in the 4% to 7.5% range or something like that. What you're saying, if you're going to overload with N, like some of these dairies are doing, just because just they've got a lot of manure availability, those kinds of things, or maybe you farm with somebody like my brother that loves nitrogen and doesn't want to run short, you probably better be towards the top end of that potassium range.
4: Yeah, and, and there's two things. One, remember what kind of soil you farm on, because uh, we talk about a 3% or 7.5%, but crops are funny. They don't eat percentages. They eat pounds. And you can have a light, sandy soil and having a 75 or 8% uh, uh, potassium, you still don't have enough potassium. And you can have a very heavy, thick, rich soil that's at 5%, and you have enough potassium. So look at that exchange capacity first. It's really important. and then also look at the pounds that you're going to need. and most of these crops will need at least five or six hundred pounds of available k throughout their growing season. Uh, the other thing is that nitrogen, excess nitrogen, for every pound of nitrogen that you lose through leaching, you're going to take out a pound of soluble calcium. And there again, now you're striking at the thing that helps you get potassium in, that excess nitrogen is pulling it away. And and then the other thing that I look at, too, a lot, is manganese. And manganese is necessary. It's the only essential nutrient as a micronutrient, but you need it for the formation of lignin. It makes an enzyme that's essential for the formation of lignin in corn plants, particularly, and in other crops. And so if you don't have enough manganese, or if you have a super high pH and having a harder time getting manganese into the plant – you can also then not form lignin or enough lignin possible, and this will make your stalks quite weak. But there's a fine line here because if you're using it for silage, then the guy wants a low lignin variety, so it's, it's tricky to get between those two. And then there's been work done by Don Huber out of Purdue, and it's been several years ago, where actually a lot of the Roundup-ready varieties with the application of Roundup will actually block manganese uptake. So there's another issue for you. So uh, you, if you've got high pH soils, manganese is difficult to get in, and if you have, uh, so you need to do something to create a little acidity around that rhizosphere of the roots, and you can do it by using things like ammonium fertilizer. You can use it by using elemental sulfur, things that will, as they're uh, oxidizing, will become and create some acidity.
0: Yeah, you've hit and it a couple. Thing, oh, go ahead, Bill. Yep. Go ahead. I was no, gonna say go you've hit on you've hit on a few things there about acidifying the soil and you're right on the manganese in the the point that it's more available as that pH is a little lower and we've absolutely noticed that on our farm as well. All right, point number three.
4: Oh, and the last is, is and these are always a lot of what Neil and what Doctor Albrecht have taught me is is that you know and they, they repeat it over and over because it, it's what the the truth is is the last one is copper and copper with a proper amount of copper you get what we call resiliency which means i always like to call it the bend but not break theory in other words your corn can lean into the from the wind but as soon as the wind stops it wants to come back up whereas if it doesn't have that it doesn't have that resiliency as it goes to turn to one side it'll actually snap or it'll snap off at the ground or it'll snap off higher up on the on the stock, So it, copper gives you that ability to bend but not break. And uh, it's got other properties, but we're talking about lodging today, so I'll stick with those those three primary ones.
0: Yeah, those are really good nutrients to focus on. Potassium, manganese, and copper if you're having issues with standability or lodging problems out in crops. We're talking with Bill Brush here. He's a, he's a crop consultant out in the state of California. Bill, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on. Good talking to you.
4: Thanks, guys. I'll talk to you
0: soon. Bye-bye. sit head down to Iowa State. We've got Allison Robertson with us. And Allison, uh, you know, if we had all these fertility things worked out, like Bill was saying, that would be great. But we could still see a stock rot issue or a crown rot issue. What are you seeing out there in 2023? Is this a, a bad year for those things or not too bad?
8: I would say it's a bad year for those things. Um, the crops have really been stressed because of the drought. And so um, that stress has meant that those plants aren't able to photosynthesize efficiently, um, uptake those nutrients and um, fill the grain. And so that means they've been going to the stalk and the um, root to get any sugar that they can from there, um, which lowers the sugar content in those tissues. And then that means that um, fungi that are hanging out in there are now able to take advantage of that low sugar situation because the, the um, cells are not as strong, they're not as resilient, and, um, and then they take over and they start colonizing those stalk tissues, and so we run into problems with crown rot and stalk rot. How fast, okay. can,
0: how fast can those problems, Allison, go from, okay, uh, everything looks good out there. I just scouted. Everything's standing well. My stock pinch test was good. How fast does it turn bad at this time of year?
8: Oh, that's a great question. Um, I don't know that I can honestly tell you, but um, it feels like this year it was really quick, like maybe a couple of weeks, and then those – yeah, then those – those plants just looked bad. Well, that- I, I just remember driving around. I remember driving around Iowa and thinking, oh, there's not too much crown rot and stalk rot, and then driving around, you know, two or three weeks later and thinking, oh, my goodness, what just happened? So, yeah, Um well, we've yeah. got
0: we've got heat. We've had warmer weather, and we've had some yes. moisture, and it's just the perfect yes. condition for these fungi to to do what they do, and that's try and break yes. down corn stalks. So it's exactly,
8: not exactly exactly not <laughs> super surprising what out there. Well, the, yeah. the
0: good thing, Allison, is that you're busy and you've got a lot to look at out in fields. The bad thing is uh, you're out looking at farmers' fields at some of these things because that means we got some disease problems. But uh, we'll keep an eye out for the stock rot and the crown rot in fields. And I think the best piece of advice here is keep scouting because these things can turn quickly. Allison, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
2: Looking for a herbicide as versatile and reliable as your favorite pocket knife? Anthem Flex Herbicide offers the versatility you need to keep your crops clean. Protect your wheat this season with unmatched flexibility and extended residual control of broadleaf weeds and tough grasses, including Italian ryegrass. Minimize resistance and help maximize yields with Anthem Flex Herbicide. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions.
4: When nematode pressure mounts, seed applied Trunemco provides assurance. Growers using Trunemco are seeing a difference from early plant vigor to improved soybean and cotton yield. Impressive results are everywhere, and we want to hear about yours. You could win $20,000 and be named a Trunemco Elite Grower. Don't delay. Contest ends October 31st. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. See full rules. Learn more at newfarm.com USST.
0: Come on in. The Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin. That's right, it's the Ag PhD Mailbag time. You can send your questions in radio and agphd.com or just give us a phone call 844-44-AG-PHD. Got this from Bob in Wisconsin yesterday about alfalfa and grass seeding. And Brian talked about it a little bit, but uh, wanted to discuss it just a little bit, more. Talked about uh, renting some ground here from a neighbor, and it's got some slope and flat and um, and so forth. But we wanted to get in a little bit more to uh, some of the crop protection side of that question. Yeah, I
1: I, I ran out of time. This is a couple of days ago, and it was right at the end of the show, and I, I kind of missed the part where he said. Can you suggest what type of chemicals? I suspect there will be a weed issue, so I just talked about weeds. But then he said possibly bugs or disease. Okay, so if it's alfalfa grass hay mix, we talk about it all the time on the show. It becomes real challenging when you're going to raise two crops that are so dramatically different together as one. So I like, if it was our farm, for example, uh, we have some grass area and we have some alfalfa area. We raise the two separate then it's easy to control the weeds, easy to handle the fertility, everything else. But I don't fault you for wanting to do this. It it, it can be simple on, on the harvest side and every farmer can farm however, however they want. Our job is simply to help you do the best you can with whatever you choose to do. So We talked about the weeds already, but with bugs and diseases, I'm going to be scouting on a regular basis. Alfalfa has a lot of insects. Grass, we don't typically see as many problems, but there could be grasshoppers. There can be a number of things. So we're always going to be scouting, and then we just have to pick the appropriate insecticide once we see enough harmful bugs to feel like we justify treatment. I will tell you we're seeing all-time low prices now for the generic lambda insecticide, so it's less than $2 an acre for the full rate. So that'd be uh, similar to like what the old warrior was, or we talk on the show all the time about silencer. Silencer is it's under 2 bucks an acre for the full rate, so it's not very expensive to run out there. You just have to look at well, what's the pre-harvest interval, okay? So like in alfalfa, for example, I like Mustang Max because that's got the shortest pre-harvest interval at three days. Anyway, in terms of disease, with both grass and alfalfa, we don't usually see a lot of disease issues, but there would be fungicides that are labeled, so I, I, I'm i not going to tell you, oh, this is going to be a big deal, you're for sure going to have to spray disease, so I just wouldn't be all that worried about it. I mean, ideally, when we put seed in the ground, we like to have a seed treatment, use some biologicals and things like that, and, and foliar will a lot of times use some biologicals too. Like in our farm, we did everything from uh, beneficial fungi to bacteria. We've done some plant growth hormones, things like that. So There are a lot of things you could experiment with in your hay, um, just like we're using in ours. So I guess I'd, I, those are kind of the general things that I would throw out to you. But no great big watch outs.
0: All right. Thanks for the question. I get this one in from Amar. He said, we've got a 7.5 soil pH and I'm having some issues with the yellow soybeans. So I'm broadcasting iron sulfate and I'm foliar feeding iron later in the season as well. My question is, are these two methods enough to get the right form of iron into plants or should I put more iron in a 2x2 two two and some in a deep band? I'm already deep banding phosphorus, potassium, and zinc. I could deep band other nutrients if you think that would help as well.
1: This is a classic instance of are we going to treat the problem or are we going to treat the result of the problem? And here's where I'm going with this. You won't have yellow beans and iron deficiency chlorosis if you get that pH down below 7. So I would look at the soil test overall and see what nutrients I need to get in balance. A lot of times when we have higher pH soil, it's because of excess magnesium, excess calcium, excess sodium, something like that, and insufficient amounts of things like potassium. So once I get my soil nutrients in balance, hopefully my pH is coming down also drainage is a really big thing so i'm going to make sure that my drainage is great first then i'm going to flush out excesses if i need to a lot of times that means adding more sulfur of some sort but when you talk about putting iron sulfate in the ground you're doing foliar iron you're throwing iron here iron there it doesn't matter your 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 ground probably already has enough iron i don't know without looking at the soil test but iron deficiency chlorosis occurs when your pH is high and your good ferrous iron turns to ferric iron. So adding more iron in a lot of cases doesn't help much. Now, sometimes we will have people do EDDHA iron, and it's fine if you're going to do it right at planting in furrow. And you can do a little bit of foliar too if you want to, but it's typically at plant where we see the best yield results. So It'll keep the iron in the right form usually for a little while, but sooner or later, it's going to end up being in the wrong form and you're in trouble. So I'd work on the soil more than anything else. That's what I'd focus on.
0: All right. Speaking of the soil, uh, this one is from HL. Can you tell me what the fertilizer ratios would be for ground nuts? Now, I'm wondering if he's talking about peanuts perhaps, but it brings up a question here. Are the ratios that we talk about with soil fertility, do they vary by crop greatly? Obviously, the nutrient uptake needed for each crop is going to vary a little bit. But when we're talking about just building up soil. Does it vary greatly? I don't think it really does, Brian. A lot of times we're trying to build up soil. Good soil for growing corn is good soil for growing just about anything.
1: Yes. Yep. Now, I would say some crops have more tolerance to certain nutrients more need for certain nutrients. So, is it possible things could vary a little bit? Yes. But a lot of times with soil testing and the recommendations we're talking about, we're just getting in the general ballpark anyway. So, if you want to fine-tune that and run some more tests to get things to exact numbers, I mean, we certainly encourage you to do that. But there's such a wide range of soils that, I mean, people are listening to us all over the United States and Canada. (laughs) So we've got about every soil condition, every soil type that there is under the sun. And somebody is listening that's got that. So we do talk a lot about it, about a lot of general things, and we try to get you close. But no, I'm not too worried about which crop you're raising exactly. If you're fixing the soil and you're doing a good job for the soil, you should hopefully have good soil life or at least better soil life if you get all those things in balance and, and roughly right. And then you might just need a little more of this nutrient or that nutrient based on your particular crop.
0: Okay. I had this question from Tom down in Iowa and he said, boy, listening to your show today made me even more nervous. I heard Allison Robertson talk about more stock rot and crown rot issues this year. Uh, and also listening to Bill Brush was eye-opening because in addition to potassium, he mentioned manganese and copper, two yep. nutrients I have not been addressing as potential issues. Well, I have had lodging in corn in the past few years and i I am just curious now, what do you think it is? If it is manganese and copper, how much can I put on? Can I solve it in one
1: shot? Uh, Yes, you can solve it in one shot, but it's probably not manganese and copper on their own. Could it be that in part? Sure. I just doubt that it is. I'd like to see the soil test more than anything. Now, here's the biggest thing I'm going to tell you. On the manganese deal, first of all, I know Bill referenced this Don Huber work on manganese. We actually proved that to be incorrect. So we went out with ridiculously high rates of Roundup for a couple different years and found that Roundup isn't causing the manganese issues. What's causing the manganese issues is lack of manganese. So I, I agree that manganese needs to be looked at. It's certainly a factor in lodging. It's just without looking at your soil test, I'm guessing. So I hate to guess on something like a micronutrient where you might have to spend $50 an acre or even $100 an acre to totally fix the problem for good. Um, <laughs> I, I want some data before, before I go telling you to spend that kind of money. You see where I'm coming with that. With the copper, it's not nearly as big a deal. If you get the copper to, let's say you're running malic tests, you get the copper to three parts per million, five parts per million, you're good. It's not going to cost you a lot of money. It's no big deal. It can all be done in one shot. I'm not that worried about the copper. It's just manganese is a really expensive micronutrient and you need lots of it. A lot of times with, like I said, copper, three or five parts per million is good. With manganese in a Malik 3 test, 50, maybe 100 parts per million might be what you're shooting for. So it just takes a lot more to get your level up. We'll get back to more of your questions right after this. You've done it. Your yields are on the rise. But when
3: it comes to marketing, are you falling short? Invest in yourself with Agris Academy. Agris Academy is offering a first-of-its-kind masterclass in commodity merchandising and risk management. Learn the best practices and tactics of the world's leading risk managers and apply them to your farm. Contact your buyers with a new confidence and boost your farm's profitability. Agris Academy's 10-week masterclass begins this November and is hosted on Acres TV. Sign up today with early discount code ACRES at agrisacademy.com.
5: Growing up on the farm, I woke up as early as mom and dad. I put as many hours on the tractor, changed as many teeth on the tiller as my brother's. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, man or woman, when there's work to be done, you put your boots on and you do it. I do that on my farm and in my job at Case IH. My name is Kelsey, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH.
0: Case IH, built by farmers. You're listening to ag phd radio and we are in the ag phd mailbag time right now taking your calls and questions throughout the rest of the show at 844-44-AG-PHD or via email radio at agphd.com all right brian get some more information in here from christian up in northeast south dakota And he said, uh, first of all, thanks for for asking or answering my questions uh, on Monday. I've got a couple other details that I wanted to share with you. I've attached some soil sample results for the area in my field that's got high pH soils where I'm seeing significantly less soybean yield. And I pulled two samples from different areas. Uh, in, In the spring of 2022, I put on 300 pounds of ammonium sulfate in this area ahead of corn. And this spring, I ran just a gallon and a half of Pro Germinator in furrow, which is a 924 uh, 3, in hopes of giving some more phosphorus access to my crop in high pH soils. Well, this particular area has also been pattern tiled on 80 foot spacings over 10 years ago. Now, it has some of our heaviest ground. Unfortunately, the soil test uh, wasn't tested for sodium or sulfur. Uh, so anyway, I am North via, but only by a couple hours, so just kind of curious what you guys think on this soil.
1: Um, okay, well I don't have all the information here. I don't have cation exchange capacity, but I'm going to assume this is pretty heavy ground because we often see when it's 8.1 pH and 4.7 organic matter, it's probably pretty heavy. So my guess and, and again, without the information, I'm just guessing. So hopefully if you, if you look at your tests and you see this is right in terms of cation exchange capacity, then the rest of what I'm going to say would absolutely be true. So if your cation exchange capacity is over 20, which I'm assuming it is, and I'm guessing it might even be 30 or more, 80-foot um, tile spacing is not close enough. I'd like it 30 feet, maybe 40 Uh, It it needs to be closer together. That's the first thing. Second thing is your P and K levels are just really low. So, I mean, I get it if you're trying to make more phosphorus that's tied up in the soil come available, but you only have 34 parts per million on a P2 test on, on one and 62 on the other. At a bare minimum on our farm, I want 100 that's oh, a bear. And, bare and
0: also, this is in high pH. So, that Olsen test on there is out that, that that next line over was so that had six parts per million. Um,
1: or is that something different? Uh, let's see. Do I have that? Do I have is an Olsen the, test? Isn't in the here?
0: very next column over from the P2? It
1: says uh, bicarb test. Yeah. Bicar, yeah, okay, well, maybe that's the Olson test. Well, whatever. I mean, the P1 and the Olson test, yeah, it's showing you don't have very much available. But my point is your P2 test, which should be 100, and on our farm I like it to be at least 150, it's at thirty, as low as 34. So there's not much phosphorus there to come available. So I'm not that worried about that other side of things. The other thing is we, we had soil that was in the low 8s a few years ago. And we raise the potassium level, because I'm guessing you got 1% base saturation K. You only you have as low as 137 parts per million. And in a heavy soil, that's not close to enough. So I'm guessing that you have 1% base saturation potassium. And if that's true, if you simply raise your base saturation K level, I will bet you that your pH goes down. That's exactly what happened on our farm. And if somebody else would have told me, well, you just put K on and your pH will come down. I said, no, pH. It's not going to go down when I raise my K levels, but it did on our farm, went down half a point. It was awesome. And our field became a lot more productive. Last year, we had a bunch of areas in that field that used to be junk on the river bottom, poorly drained. We tiled it at 40 to 50 foot spacing uh, years ago. Then we raised the K and we had areas that were a hundred bushel beans, hundred. It was amazing. But K is huge. And your, your K levels are just too low. So your P and K levels are too low. And then I don't have sulfur or any micronutrient. I don't have sodium levels. So I, I don't have all the answers that I need here or all the, all the data so I can tell you what else you need in this soil. But I just know that when I see your phosphorus levels where they're at and your potassium levels where they're at, uh, you need more. You just flat out need more. When you have lots of tie-up in the soil, banding obviously can help in the short term, but like on our farm, when we own most all of our ground, we're broadcasting there too. So we'll do some band, some broadcast. We're trying to build the overall soil level, even though I know it might be 5, 10, 15 years before we extract all that phosphorus and potassium. I don't care. We own the ground. We want the ground to be better. We want the ground to be as healthy as possible. And I would say this, you got 4.2 to 4.7% organic matter. That's great. Most people would kill to have that soil. It looks awesome to me. We just got to get our levels up on nutrients. And then let's take a look at how are our micronutrients doing and, and do we have a sodium problem? I, I, I don't know. So I, I just, I don't have all the answers on this.
0: All right. Well, thanks for the questions, Christian. We appreciate that. I got this one in from Daryl down in north central Iowa. He said, everybody's talking about pigweed, but my problem is giant ragweed. Can you guys help? It's been so tough to kill the last couple of years with spotty rainfall and, and drought. I'm in conventional till. I'm in a corn and soybean rotation. What would your herbicide program be for giant ragweed for each crop, for corn and for soybeans? I'm expecting moderate to heavy pressure in 2024, and I really want my fields to be clean.
1: We have an app called the AgPhD Field Guide app. If you go to that, you can pull up Giant Ragweed, and then it will talk about our best recommendations in corn, in wheat, and in soybeans. So with Giant Ragweed, I I, I guess I'll just say you absolutely need to get ahead of it. So we talk here, like in corn, for example, about starting with something like Sure Start or Triple Flex. Um, Balance Flex can also be good, but the thing is, If you use balance flex, that's an HBPD. If you use that pre, then we don't want you to use an HBPD post. And then post-emerge, personally, I really like status. That's the way to go. So if you start with something like, let's say, sure, start triple flex, you follow with status, um, your giant ragweed problem's gone in corn. That's it. That's all it's going to take. In soybeans, it gets to be a lot more challenging. So this is why we talk about our three pre-program all the time. But here's the thing, on giant ragweed, yeah, metribuzin will help, the authority or valor will help, but you're not going to get a lot of activity out of the yellow, out of the trifluralin or pro. First rate, however, is really good. So if you want to go something like authority first plus metribuzin, um, I'm all for that. So that's what I would start with. Then post-emerge, you got lots of options. Depends on which crop we're talking about, but roundup will kill it usually. Uh, liberty is good. You got dicamba, you got 2,4 D. I mean, there are a lot of different options. Otherwise, Flexstar has activity and Cobra does as well. So, lots of choices for you there in soybeans, too. But the key thing with both crops is you want to get out there with a pre, and then with your post, you've got to stay ahead of this because this thing can, this giant ragweed, it can just take off. And in a lot of the areas where we see giant ragweed being prevalent, those are wetter areas. We're in a very dry area, so it's easy for us. I can pick almost any day of the week, and I can go spray. I mean, yeah, I might have to spray in the morning before the wind picks up, but if you're in an area that gets rain, what happens a lot of times is we say, well, we want to let a few more of the weeds come up, and then all of a sudden it rains for two weeks, and now the weeds are too tall, and now you don't get good control. So stay ahead of it, spray earlier rather than later, and you'll have good luck.
0: All right, thanks for the question. Get this one in from Sean over in Wisconsin. He said, hey, guys, it's still warm out, and I just put in bin fan controls for this year. We were thinking of using them in corn, but I'm curious, how wet can you take soybeans out if you're using bin fan controls? This might be an opportunity to
1: turn those bins twice. 17's been our experience. It's At 17, too, it's getting a little sketchy. Whether you're able to get those beans out and not have so many pods and stuff, certainly 15 or 16% moisture beans. But I like it when we're taking wetter beans. We have a lot less harvest loss, a lot better quality grain, and then we just dry it down over time with air using those automatic bin fan controls. Usually, if we take out 16, 17 moisture beans, then it takes about three weeks and they're down to 13 on our farm.
0: I think this is something that that each farmer has to kind of play with on its own. What are you comfortable with, and then vary a little bit based on the year. If you're still getting a lot of warm days, like you say, hey, the weather's still warm. Yeah, that's very helpful. You've got a chance of drying things down a little bit quicker
1: if you get the right yeah, humidity but levels. Beans dry down so fast. I mean, you can be at fourteen percent, and a few hours later, you're at ten. I don't. I can't have beans at ten. Well, I can, then I got to re-wet them basically by putting damper air into that bin because I want to haul them in at 13 so I maximize my profit.
0: Well, I think you're going to have some fun with those bin fan controls, Sean. So thanks for the question. We really appreciate it. And thanks for listening to today's program. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.